Good morning, St. Christopher's. Um, so, I was reminded of this conference call with the bishop I had this past week where a colleague of mine was brave enough to name the elephant in the room. And Bishop, she said, our folks, our folks haven't been able to receive the Eucharist for the entire Easter season. The entire Easter season. Looking around, my friend continued, none of us have, have experienced anything like this before. Her comments hit home, and I could see the impact of her vulnerability across everyone's face in our small Zoom group. For most of us in that group who have come to know the Episcopal Church post the 79 prayer book, the Eucharist has been central to not only our liturgical expression, but the heart of our weekly gatherings for over 40 years. For 40 years, the Eucharist has been celebrated every Sunday. In the wake of COVID-19, however, historians, in an effort to draw connections for us, have had to go back to the 60s and then all the way back to 1918 to find out when the last time a disease has so affected church gatherings in a similar way. In large part, that's 100 years in the opposite direction. And while that statistic is well documented in church records, it fails to account that there are cases regionally and certainly in smaller Christian enclaves where communities have been affected for years, years, and where the dominical sacraments of baptism and Eucharist have had to be reserved because of health concerns. For instance, and in this century, churches in Flint, Michigan, have had to reserve baptismal rites for years due to the toxicity of their water supply. Some churches have adapted over time and used bottled water to fill the font, but for many that was a luxury. They needed to use the water in their homes. Just imagine for a moment that for at least two to three years in some parishes, folks did not receive the sacrament of baptism because of the city's water supply. Ten weeks is a lot for us, for sure. But years? I don't know about that. While citizens of Flint are by no means out of the woods, we could take some lessons from them in what to expect from our emotions when the sacrament becomes available for distribution once more. In truth, we have a lot to learn from small communities which seem so different from us, even though by faith we find ourselves connected to them in ways that surprise us. For several reasons, but especially that one, I've chosen to preach from the, letter of, the first letter of Peter throughout the Easter season as much as I could. This small community that we have come to know through this short letter was beset by many challenges, not least of all, disease, and who suffered much at the hands of their oppressors and the environment that they lived in. And while their experience of suffering couldn't be more different than our own, I mean, really, it would be counterproductive 
not to mention disingenuous to try to create analogs between our experiences of suffering and theirs. It would be helpful, however, to glean from them and this letter some sense of what a mutual response towards challenges and indeed suffering of our own that we could in turn emulate. It is vital for Christians of this age to understand that aspects of our return will be stymied by certain challenges and at times beset by sufferings we can't anticipate. For as our prayer book reminds us that even in the midst of this life, we are in death and that no one will ultimately be able to escape adversity or suffering. Such a truth has always been sobering for me, but never so much as it has been upon the cusp of this return. And never more has it been so appropriate to gauge our response to our anxiety and the ways in which it awakens within some of us. One of our constant petitions throughout these past 10 weeks has been the desire to find a balance in responding to others through mutual care and concern and addressing our own anxiety. Make no mistake that that care and concern that we are praying for largely deals with some rather intense emotions and feelings, not to mention certain convictions when it comes to how we will enter the future that is before us, or more profoundly, how we will proceed to gather together in ways that will look quite different from what they've always been. This is not idle anxiety, nor is it banal. It's real. It's poignant and it's acute because of just how close this reality is and the fact that there is some reticence to trust each other. And although these are our challenges, which remain fundamentally different than our ancestors in faith, and contextually particular to our own present time, the prescription remains the same. Cast all your anxieties upon him. Nevertheless, you know as well as I do that that sentiment is almost just as hard as loving your enemies. Especially for the large majority of us who like to think we have control. It's almost as if when beset by something that is so unknown, we like to hold on to the anxiety that wells up inside of us because at least we know what that feels like. And we can at least place that feeling in a landscape that remains ever moving. Which is exactly why casting those emotions upon Jesus is so essential for understanding the grace that comes from channeling our suffering. For God's power is magnified in our weakness when cast upon him, and there is no greater transformational power in this world than the love given to us through his cross and passion. There is the crux and the call. There is the work of Easter and the witness of grace. And you can be sure that grace begins to work at the moment of realization, especially when through the recognition of this human tendency, the gospel finds a way to be proclaimed. 
This gospel that is embedded and embodied in the lives of its believers. This gospel that is proclaimed in the lives of its believers insofar as their lives manifest not only the power of the resurrection, but also and especially the suffering of the cross. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's with you every step that you take. All that you have to do is return to him as far as you can. And he will come the rest of the way.